0: Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Kristen Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Lord. All right, Mark chapter 14 Uh, Find Mark chapter 14 and then find also John chapter 12. Kind of put your finger in between those two things. And as you're doing that, let me just kind of get you set for where we're going uh, this morning. As I've been talking to you about this series, All About the One, and we've been focusing in on the mission of Zion Fellowship, the vision of Zion Fellowship, and we've been talking about the values that we hold in regards to that, you know, someone asked me, well, Chris, why are we devoting a whole sermon series to our core values? And so I want to bring a little definition to that so you can see why I feel this is so, so important. And the the first reason that I would say to you is if you are a serious student of the Word of God, if you'd pop pop up the first slide, you'll note that the idea of core values is taught all throughout Scripture. And I would just cite Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talking uh, in the Sermon on the Mount basically says, where, the, the, where your heart is, there is where I will find the treasure. Or where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be. It's, it's this idea of the core of your being, the things that you value. All I have to do is listen to you, is what Jesus is saying. All I have to do is listen to you, and I'll know what you value. All I need to do is listen to you, and I will know what's at the core of your being. And so when we're talking about the core values of Zion Fellowship, we're talking about the things that we value. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 3, this is how Paul says it, and I think it's a statement about core values. He says, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. Not on the things of this earth. Now, here's, here's the reason I think this is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in life, isn't it? It's so easy to, to say, well, I've got to be here. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And, and that's just part of life. We do life, right? It's, it's like you can't avoid going to work. How many of you wish that, that it was supernatural, that everything you needed was provided and you never had to work another day in your life? That would be sweet, but I mean, for most of us, guess what? We have to get up tomorrow morning and we have to go to work, don't we? And the thing is, we can get caught up in the issues of this life so much so that we're, we're not doing what the Scripture commends us to do, and that is to set our minds on things above and not on things on the earth. It's so so easy to get caught up in what's happening in the natural that we forget that we've been called to be a supernatural people. And the thing about core values, as I see it in Scripture, it's those things that make us be who we really are in Christ. It's the things that we value. It's the things that we hold dear. One person says this about core values. It says that core values are the guardrails that keep a church, and we could actually put you in there, focused on its mission. Not only do we as a body of believers have a mission, and that's why I'm talking to us so that we're all on the same page and we know what God's called us to do, but I think as individuals too, God calls us to certain missions. Do you know what your mission is? Do you know what God's called you to be about and how it fits into the body of Christ and how it fits into the community in which you live? Do you know your mission? Because your mission will be driven by your core values. In another place, we read this, that values answer the question, who are you? In other words, when we talk about core values, we're talking about the things that we hold as convictions, the things that we hold as priorities, the things that that are the underlying assumptions that influence my attitude and my behaviors. Those are the core values that you hold, that I hold. It's the unique way that a people of God walk together. It's the unique way that, that 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 the people of God relate to one another. Those are the core values. Remember, Jesus said it this way. He said, they'll know that you are my disciples. How? by the way you love one another. See, if, if the core value of love is not deeply rooted in your heart, then people are going to bug you all the time. And even if love is rooted in your heart, come on, people are going to bug you all the time. But if, if the attitude and the behavior In relationship to one another is the result of the core value of love. There becomes this expression of of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a beautiful thing. One man defines core values this way. He says they're the constant, passionate, core beliefs that empower and guide the ministry. So that's why I'm taking time this fall, to talk about the core values of Zion Fellowship. I want to talk to you about those things that are constant, those things that that are those passionate beliefs that we hold on to that empower and guide the ministry. You say, well, Chris, I'm hearing you, but are are there any examples in the Scripture where, where the body of Christ is defining its core values? Well, let me point you to one, Acts chapter uh, 2. Go ahead. Acts chapter 2, 41 and 41. Th- when Luke writes about the early church, you go back and you read it. He writes it in such a way that he begins to define the core values of the early church. He says, they were given to evangelism. They were given to the teaching of the Word of God. They were given to fellowship. They were given to worship. They were given to service, generosity, prayer. In one, what, six verses, he says, here are the core values that were found in this early group of believers. And so, Scripture, I think, verifies that that core values, what we believe, and the things that, that, that we hold dear and that... Carry, we carry a conviction about and we prioritize uh, are those underlying assumptions that, that influence everything that we do. And as a body of believers, I think it's important in this hour when there's so much going on that we understand why we do what we do and why we go after what we go after. So now you're going to help me here. And if I could have like maybe a half dozen volunteers right now, come quickly to the platform and start handing out these pieces of paper. Okay. I want everybody to get a piece of paper. Just humor me here. Okay. Just everybody humor me. Just go quickly, please. And make sure everybody gets one. And, and here's, what, here's what you're going to do. I want you to take a moment right now in the service, and then you're going to pass it back in before you leave. Okay, I want you to write the one core value you believe must never change at Zion Fellowship. And you're going to do it by finishing this sentence. This place, this must be a place of, and then name the core value. The place being Zion, okay? So one core value. You're not going to be tested. This is not pass and fail. If you're, a, if you're a visitor here today and you're saying, well, I don't know much about Zion Fellowship, then maybe respond this way in regards to the body of Christ. What's the one core value that you think must never leave? So this must be a place of and then state The core value. Let me tell you, as you're doing that, and and this is not to prompt you in any way. You write what God's showing you. But here's what the first service wrote. They wrote, one person writes, this must be a place of helping others. Another person writes, this must, underline, be a place of worship. Another Another person writes, this must be a place of teaching. I love this one, too. This must be a place of good friends and worship. All right? This must be a place of fellowship. This must be a place of divine intervention. This must be a place that honors God as number one and loves people. I love this one. This must be a place of His presence. Those were just some of the responses in the first service And I'm interested to see what the the responses in the second service are going to be as we turn to the Word of God. Now, when you finish writing whatever you're writing right now, if you would just take those sheets and pass them to the end of the pew that you're sitting in so that they all end up along the aisle, I would appreciate that and we'll collect them after the service. Then I'm going to make kind of like a collage and put this out in the lobby someplace so you can go up and look at it and see what your brothers and sisters in Christ have to say. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to start this morning. And when it comes to core values, the thing I want to talk about this morning, because it's a core value of Zion Fellowship, is I want to talk to you about the value of worship. And particularly, I want to talk to you about the value of your worship. We're going to look at a familiar story to many of us, the story of the alabaster jar and the woman that breaks an alabaster jar and anoints Jesus just prior to his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. And in Acts, I'm sorry, in Mark, I'm going to get there, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3, This is Mark's account. Now, realize that what you're going to find when you read this story, you're going to find an account of a woman breaking an alabaster jar and anointing Jesus. You're going to find an account in all four Gospels of this event. And actually, it's two different events. There's the event that we're going to be looking at today that that it is defined for us who the woman is. We know that it's Mary of Bethany, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who anoints Jesus just prior on the on the week of Passover, just prior to his arrest, crucifixion, death, burial. We know that. There's another in Luke chapter seven, another account of this is an account that takes place much earlier in the ministry of Jesus. And when Luke writes about it, he says that the woman who came into the room to anoint Jesus was a sinful woman. That's how he defines her. That's how he describes her. And it's a picture in that particular uh, portion of Scripture of of the, the overflow of God's forgiveness and love when we come into his presence and pour out our hearts before him. And so I believe, some people believe that there are three different occasions. I think it's just two. I think it's this woman that I just mentioned in Luke chapter 7. And I think all the other accounts are pointing to Mary of Bethany. And I, and I want you uh, to see that with me today. So it says, And being in Bethany, verse 3, Mark chapter 14, verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table... A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, of spikenard. And then she broke the flask, poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves, saying, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? I'm just going to stop there, and then I'm going to turn to John chapter 12, if you join me there. Verse 1, I think these are the same events. One has oil being poured on the head of Jesus. The other has oil being poured on the feet of Jesus. But I think it's the same account. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointing the feet of Jesus. She wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would later betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said, not, this he said, and this is John's little comment, this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he put his hand in the money box. And he used to take some that was put in there. And Jesus on both accounts says this to those who are criticizing this act of extravagant love. He said, let her alone she has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you will always have with you, but me you do not always have. So here's, here's, the, here's where I want to journey with you. I want to I talk to you about the value of worship, and in particular, the value of your worship. Just turn to somebody right now and say, your worship matters. See, I, I find it interesting that how many of you have recognized that children never hesitate to ask the question "why?" Isn't that true? K- kids just Now now here's, here's what I think. I think you never stop asking the question "why, but as you grow into adulthood, instead of asking the question "why," you just sit around wondering why. You never voice it, you never say anything. You just wonder why. Why is he doing that? And why is she saying this? And why did that have to happen? And we never actually bring it out, but we wonder all the time. I want you to consider with me for a minute as we kind of dive into the text, the insult of this inquiry by, in one account it says, those who were present. In another account it says, it was just Judas. But I would suggest that everybody in the room was asking why. And here's what they were asking. They were asking why this waste. Why is this perfume, this expensive oil, being wasted on Jesus? Now, it's interesting that when you read the stories, you find out that when Mary poured out the oil, she held nothing back. Hold that thought right there, because it's a picture of worship. In other words, when you and I are called to be those who worship the Lord in spirit and truth, the idea in Scripture is when you worship the King, you should never hold anything back. But the disciples were saying, why the waste? Why the extravagance? Why, why, I mean, he's a good teacher, sure, but the whole bottle? Just think about that for a minute as we talk about the value of your worship. Now, let me just say a couple of things about worship, okay? Worship, first and foremost, as I stand before you here today, is I'm not talking about a music genre, See, everybody here has their playlists. Some of you have your playlist when you go running. Some of you have your playlist when it comes to your beloved country music. Some of you have your playlist when you want to just listen to a little hip-hop. And then some of you have playlists when it comes to your worship music. Now, it's okay to have worship music and have a playlist and something, but never, never mistake worship as another genre of music or an activity that is simply conformed within the realm of the expression of music. Worship is so much more than that. It's transcendent. I know I love good music and I love good worship music, but worship can happen even if you don't have instruments. Because worship is a matter of the heart and where your heart's at. It's it's that moment where you recognize who Jesus is and all you want to do in your weakness and in your brokenness and in your inability to express everything that's in your heart, all you're wanting to do is say, you're, you're worthy of my worship. And you're worthy of my prayer. So the problem I see with the question, why this waste, is right here. Go ahead, let's see the next slide. The problem with Judas' question is it devalued Mary's act, watch this, because it devalued the presence of Jesus. And the minute you and I gather together to worship corporately, If we think it's about the music, or if we think it's about the genre, or if we think it's about the lights, or if we think it's about the setting, or if we think it's about the building, or if we think it's about the person next to us, we've missed entirely what the issue of worship is all about. It's about his presence. It's about the presence of the Lord in the midst of a people. And all we can do in response to his presence is say, you're worthy. All we can do is lift our hands and say, God, you are worthy. All we can do is wave a flag and say, he is worthy. All we can do is stand up and shout, he is worthy. I've had people ask me about Zion Fellowship. And I've had people literally say to me, why do they do that? Why, why do they shout? And, and, and why do they jump? And what about this? And what about that? And all of these questions about these expressions of worship that they see and they just don't understand. And, and my response to them is, is, I say something along this line, well... Maybe they have something they need to give to God. Well, maybe they've been fighting all week and they're throwing up their hands to say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe they're carrying something that is too heavy for them to carry alone. So stop judging someone else's worship when you don't even know what their warfare is all about. Maybe they're fighting the devil all week. Maybe they're fighting temptation. Maybe they've been in this deep depression and they're trying to make their way out of it and they realize I've only got 30 minutes of undistracted time here. So I'm going to say, God, I glorify you. I've had people say, well, Chris, I watch you. Why do you do what you do? You know what my answer to them is? Because I need him. Because he truly is the only one who will listen to me when I open my mouth. Because he's the only one who will never leave me or forsake me. Because he is the only one who is my very present help in time of trouble. Because he is the only one who is unashamed of me and is willing to identify with me even though he knows everything about me. Maybe, maybe it's because he spilled and shed his blood so that I might experience forgiveness of sin. So excuse me if I want to give him some praise. I value worship. Everybody's going to worship something. Why not worship the one who made you? So Mary is responding, and I, I, I want to take you back to the Gospel of John, and I want you to flip back a chapter to verse or chapter 11. And I want you to find something interesting in this story of Jesus, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the raising of the dead and the pouring out of the alabaster jar. And I want you to see something that John interjects into the story before we ever get to the story. Now a certain man was sick. Verse 1 of chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany being the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And I stopped and I thought, John is the last one to write his gospel. And he he reads Luke's account. And he reads Mark's account, and he reads Matthew's account, and they all say, there was a woman. There was a woman who came in, and this is what she did. And John goes, I'm going to tell you who it was. I'm going to tell you that it was Mary of Bethany, whose brother had died. That was the one who came into the room where Jesus, she was responding out of something that she had experienced in God, and she just could not hold herself back. Now remember, this was a woman who when her brother died, when she first met Jesus, do you remember what she said to him? Where have you been? If you had been here, this issue would not have happened. How many have ever entered a worship service saying, God, if you would just show up, I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. God, if you would just show up, that wouldn't have happened. There was something that Mary had to experience in God so that she might see Jesus for who he really was. And it wasn't until that happened that she was ready to open her alabaster jar and pour out her perfume on the king. It wasn't until that took place, and John is so intentional, he's saying, here is a woman that firsthand experienced something in the grace of God, and when she came into the presence of Jesus, she could hold herself back no longer, and she broke the alabaster jar, and everything within it, she poured out. And you say, well, why did one say it was on his head and on his feet? Well, I don't know. Could it be it started on his head and ended up on his feet? I don't know. What does it matter? She poured the whole thing out. Many years ago when Joan and I were just getting involved in ministry, we were in Connecticut in a ministry called Teen Challenge. Are you familiar with Teen Challenge? David Wilkerson. and They came in from Hartford. And we invited them in, and they were the ministry team that that morning. And a group of men, about 20 men, were up on the platform, and they were worshiping Jesus. And the thing that impressed me about them was not their voices, because they couldn't hold a note any better than I could. And the thing that impressed me about them was not the backup musicians that joined them, because they weren't very good. What impressed me is each and every one of these individuals was standing in front of a group of people that they were meeting for the very first time And as they raised their voices to worship Jesus, they were unashamed how they sounded or what they looked like. They only knew that they had been delivered by the King of Glory and they wanted to bring something forth that was an expression of their heartfelt worship to Him. And I remember sitting there and and being a new believer and I'm going, that is worship. They were not fine tuned. In fact, they didn't sing very well at all, but they worshipped. So just turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you. <laughs> so here we go. I'm going to try to bring this in. I, I, am, I, am I communicating something to you? I, I want you to catch this value. Because we are a church that worships. But if we're not careful, we could worship in the context of sound, music, setting, feel, genre, and misworship entirely. We could end up singing, having a great time. But my exhortation to us this morning is this. Are you ready to bring whatever your alabaster jar is, whatever is expensive and costly to you, and are you ready to break the top off of that bottle and pour it all out for Jesus? See, when she came, this is the interesting thing about an alabaster jar. It didn't have a screw on top. It had a lid that was permanently fixed and the only way you could get to the content of what was in the jar was to break it and the only thing you could do once bro- broken is pour it all out. There was no saving the perfume once the bottle was opened. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful as believers, watch it now, we can hold something back. We can say, well, you know, um, why the waste? Why the extravagance? Why is that person so giddy? Why is Chris raising his hands? Why is he jumping? (laughs) The point being, is every one of us in this room has a reason to rejoice. Every one of us in this room has value that Jesus is just waiting for us to pour out. Now here's the thing about Mary and this is what I love about Mary. She wasn't trying to impress anybody in the room. She really wasn't. She, she could care less what anybody else was thinking. She came into that room and she had one focus and one focus only. And do you know what that focus was? It was Jesus. She was was centrally focused on him. And she was just wanting to express to him, I know who you are. And when you and I come to worship, we are called to do the very same thing. you You can get so distracted in worship. And you can say, well, why is she wearing that? And in the positive, we can go, whoa, that bass player, that bass player, he's got it happening. Man, I could listen to him all day. He's happening. Or, you know, hey, look at the keyboard player. She's cute. <laughs> yeah, she was. The keyboard player today was really cute. I mean, really cute. Yeah, I'm pouring it all out, brother. That's it, Robert. Amen. You following me? When in fact, it's supposed to be all about Jesus. So it doesn't matter who's on the keyboard, and it doesn't matter who's on the bass, and it doesn't matter who's leading, it doesn't matter who's in the drum kit, and it doesn't matter what I'm doing over here. Mary wasn't concerned about what anyone else in the room was thinking. All she was concerned about was getting into the presence of the one who she knew who he was. And she said, I just, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to say it to you, Jesus. But I'm just going to break this jar of perfume. I'm going to pour it all out over you. I'm not going to hold anything back because you are worthy. So let's apply this very quickly. Number one. Here's what I want you to hear, and I need the worship team to come quickly. Because this is about the value of your worship. Let's go to the last slide, and I want to give you four ways to apply this message. First of all, understand this, that God values our offering of worship. He values your offering of worship. Even when you're weak, even when you're broken, even when you find it hard to sing, even when you're just there and songs are being sung and you can't even open your mouth, you can cry your tears. He says, I value and I honor your worship. Secondly, a heart focused on Jesus matters. You say, duh. No, listen to me. Your heart, my heart, when it's together, when it's separate, when we are focused on Jesus, it really matters to him. And that's what he said to them. He said, listen, leave her alone. Because what she is doing, you have no idea. What's going on here? And you're judging her in an incorrect way. And what she's doing is she's preparing me for something that you don't even understand right now. But I'm telling you this, that at the end of the age, they will still be talking about what she did this day. Because every time the gospel is preached, her name will be mentioned. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God would be saying of your worship, listen, every time she opens her mouth, every time he opens her, his mouth, I'm telling you right now, it matters. I receive their worship. Number three, our love for Jesus should be, ought to be extravagant. That was the thing that I saw with the Teen Challenge people. A lot of times we look and we see someone worshiping and we try to figure out what their deal is. Don't worry about what their deal is. Just understand that their love for Jesus in that moment, whether it's a shout in that moment, whether it's a dance, whether in that moment it's a, a, a tear, a cry, It's their way of bringing forth an extravagant expression of their love for the king. Come on, give somebody a high five and say, start being extravagant. I know that when I came into, for the first time I came into a charismatic church, I'm like, what is this all about? Many of you know my story. I'd been a good Catholic boy and I never saw people sing like you sing. And I never saw people worship like you worship. And I'm like, it's a bit over the top, don't you think? They're kind of extravagant, don't you think? And I remember my father-in-law, Joan's dad, looking at me and saying, yeah, but you don't know their story. If you knew their story, you would understand why they're so extravagant. If you understood what God brought them through, you would understand why they sing the way they sing. If you understood what God delivered them from, if you understood what God brought them through, even in that very week, you would understand why they raise their hands in worship. You would understand why they dance before the king. You would understand why they do what they do. And it wasn't long before I began to understand that I could break my alabaster jar and pour it all out for him too. And then lastly, I think worship is not a show for anyone else but him. Amen. Want to stand to your feet? There's a song that I've been singing all week, and this is how we're going to close the service. And I've kind of set the stage. I'm not looking for anything from you but extravagance. That's all. That's all I'm looking for, okay? And this song I've been singing, and I can't get it out of my head. And my my prayer is two things, that, that first of all, you will engage with this song today and just declare it at a whole new level. Because here at Zion Fellowship, one of the core values that we will never let go of is authentic worship before the King, because He's worthy. hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canada, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.